All right. And so this is my third and last message on land reform, on a biblical view of land reform. And how I'm trying to do this message is for you to see this as a type, for you to see that the principles here from the word of God can be applied to many other areas. Amen. Okay. They can be applied to family. They can be applied to business. And uh, God has something to say about these things. God is very relevant. All right. So I'm on point number nine. I'm on point number nine. If you haven't listened to the previous messages on this subject, please do so. Um, I, I must say I, was, I really enjoyed listening to uh, Stuart Bishop's message from last Sunday. I enjoyed it. Didn't you find it enriching? Hey, that our God is victorious. I just loved the richness of the word and the depth. So thank you so much, uh, Stuart Bishop, for that. It strengthened us. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22, and I'm going to read from verse 5 to 6. And here's my question. Are you practicing restitution from your heart? We've spoken quite a bit about the responsibilities of those who are saying we want land and making sure they do it the right way, right? And some people have reacted, you know, on social media and they've said to me things like, um, they've written things like uh, South Africans should solve their own problems, um, you know, as opposed to us guys from Zim and other places coming through. Um, but what I want to just say to that, if South Africa should solve its own problems, I want to speak to some of the people who say that. Because I'll look at the person with their suit and I'll say, clearly your clothing problems have been solved uh, by the Italians. Why are you wearing that Italian suit? Clearly, your transport problems have been solved by the Japanese. Why are you driving a Japanese car? Or if you drive a Merc, your problems have been solved by the Germans. All right? So if you take certain things to their nth degree, you'll end up being in isolation and not being willing to learn from anyone. Amen. Amen. And I've said to you before that if someone is dying of cancer and then someone comes from outer Mongolia and they've got the cure for that type of cancer, you're not going to pause and think to yourself, but you're from outer Mongolia. I want to use our own doctors. And it's a problem we have in this country. You know how difficult it is if you're a doctor from Germany, for example, and you're brilliant. I remember meeting someone like that, and they come to this country, just the process of actually being able to practice. And yet we've got a health crisis. What I'm saying to you is some of these inhib inhibitions are very structural and very institutional. Amen. We must be interdependent with the nations around us and we must learn from the best. And one of the best places to learn about land reform from is actually Zimbabwe. Because for the last 18 years, we've been dealing with it and we've done it the wrong way and we're now trying to do it the right way. Amen. Amen. And we don't want South Africa to make the same mistakes. So listen and learn. Some people have to learn to look and listen and to humble themselves and say, well, let's actually go into scripture and see what the Bible says. So if I declare something from the word of God and people are like, South Africans must solve their own problems. Well, wait a minute. What, what are you saying about the word? Are you hearing me? If someone preaches the word of God, it doesn't matter whether they're from China, whether they're from Alaska, whether they're from the outer Mongolia, whether they're from Swaziland or Lesotho, it doesn't matter. It's the word of God. And this is the thing that transforms nations. Amen. So God has a sense of humor in who he chooses to use. So I've been challenging people around this, but we also need to look at it from a perspective of what's the heart supposed to be like? If you feel that you wronged certain people in this nation, how do you right that wrong? This is very important. And it's what we call restitution. And restitution is to do with restoring things where you felt you broke them. You see, if I take Stuart's car, his nice Merc, without asking, and I take it to Nelspreet, can I just come back and just say, hey, you know how things were those days. It was me who took your car, Stuart. Mr. Bishop, you know how things are. I'm really sorry. Is that enough? Will he feel Paul is really sorry? No. Right? But if I say to him, Stuart, I was the one who took your vehicle. I am really sorry about this. But what I've done is I filled your car up with a full tank. And you know what? 
I inconvenienced you. So listen, the next time you want to get your vehicle serviced, it's on me. Can you see where we're going? So there's the responsibility of the people who feel like, you know what? We did have a whole lot of advantages, right? And those of you who feel like, you know what? In this nation or any nation you're from, that you had certain advantages and there were certain groups of people out there that were disadvantaged, not with government legislation, but from one's heart, it's important to have a heart of restitution. It's important to have a heart that says, if my grandparents were not educated, where would I be today? If my grandparents had been illiterate or had been told that they would have native education or Bantu education or whatever you want to call it, where would I be today? And stemming from that heart, you will find people doing amazing things. And in this nation, there's some people who have that revelation of restitution. So you'll see what they do for their domestic helpers, where they don't just pay the minimum wage, but they pay them more than that and they send those kids to school. And that's a way of saying, I'm so grateful for how I was blessed. But I know that these guys are not starting from the same level I started at. And in my heart, as a form of restitution, I want to do the following. It's when farmers today will say, you know what? I am really fortunate and blessed that this is the land I've acquired. But I understand that there were certain people who were removed from this land and now we have it and we've prospered and God has been faithful to us. Now we're going to do something special, free of charge. We're going to begin to mentor our workers so that they can take over part of this land and we will give it to them and we believe that they'll prosper and we'll live on this land together. How many of you are hearing what I'm saying this morning? Okay, that's the heart of restitution. And when you do that, and South Africa tried to do that in the truth and reconciliation process, and there were a lot of positive elements about that. But when people do that voluntarily, that's where you heal the wound of a nation. But you do not heal the wound of a nation by putting legislation in place that does not respect property rights and legislation in place that makes a certain group of people feel we're second-class citizens. You see, that's what actually happened years ago in this nation, pre-94. There was a group of people that were like, we are the citizens, and you guys are second-class citizens, so you cannot vote. I mean, if you know that when you can't vote, that's like being a second-class citizen. I mean, if you know that being able to vote, the right to vote, is the right every citizen should have, whether they still live in that country or not. All the Zimbabweans who are like, come on, how come they, they're saying we can't vote, we can't vote? You know what I'm talking about. No one can take your birthright from you. So now if we have a situation in this nation where some people in the past were treated like second-class citizens, you don't heal a nation by now doing exactly the same thing. You see, there's a fine line between righting wrongs and taking revenge. Please hear me, South Africa, very clearly. There's a fine line between righting wrongs and taking revenge. And sometimes when I, when I hear the narrative and the manner in which people speak, I'm like, this seems vengeful. This seems to be coming from a vengeful heart. And God doesn't bless that. God doesn't honor that. Amen. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 5 to 6, it says, If a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose, so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. You see, when you, when you demonstrate restitution, it's always more than what you took. You go the extra mile. If you look in scripture, if someone would steal something, they're expected to restore it at least four times what they had stolen. Are you hearing me this morning? It wasn't just, oh, I stole this from you. Oh, let me give you back. Okay? So we have to find ways where within our heart, we're saying, you know what? This is how I want to bless you because of what I did. If a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that stacked grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. 
Some of you here in this room, you have robbed people of certain things. Please, let's apply this principle all of life, beyond land. You've robbed people of certain things, defrauded them, maybe deceived them. My question is, have you practiced restitution? What do I mean by that? If you know as a husband that you are never at home, right? It's not good enough just going and saying, sorry, my love, the last three months have been really tough. Restitution is where you say, sorry, my love, the last three months have been really tough. But you know what? To make up for it, you know that dream holiday you wanted to go on? We can do it. I've booked the flights. We are going. Ladies, don't say amen too loudly. Otherwise, we'll know you're in that situation. That is restitution. That is restitution. So here's a New Testament example. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 9. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Isn't God good? He notices you. He notices me. He looked up and said to him, and I love the way he called him by name, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Some of you, God is calling you, but you're not coming down immediately. You're taking your time. There's something about the call of God where we need to respond immediately. Amen. Jesus said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And what I love about this is Zacchaeus is up in a tree and Jesus is standing so the whole crowd can hear what Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus. I mean, Jesus was not concerned about being politically correct. That was not a popular thing to say. People did not like the tax collectors, and yet Jesus just shouts out and says, I need to come to your crib. I need to come to your house today. I mean, imagine the people who are following Jesus, and they're like, but we've been inviting you, Jesus, and you haven't yet come to my house. But now this tax collector, you want to go to his house, and you're saying, I must. I need to. Now just watch this, because I believe Jesus saw something in Zacchaeus' heart, beyond the fact that he was someone who had defrauded people. He says, I must stay at your house today. Not just popping in. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6. So he came down at once. That says something about his heart. And welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Are you willing to do things in your life that will cause people to mutter? Some of you, you think life is a popularity contest. So everything you're doing, you just want to make sure the crowds are happy and everything is cool with everyone. All right? There are a lot of things Jesus did that caused people to matter. Are you willing to do the things that will cause people to matter? And watch this. They were, they were muttering. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, if Jesus had people who were his publicists, they would have said, bad move. You won't get votes. Okay? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, watch this, voluntary restitution. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Did he have to do that? He didn't have to do that. And let me tell you something. In this nation right now, a lot of people are consumed by greed. The people wanting land and the people not willing to share it. Let's be honest, that this, that's the state of the heart of man. We're controlled by mammon, the spirit of mammon. And yet Zacchaeus here, who had conned many people, he was willing to give away half of his possessions. And there was something about that heart that Jesus saw. And Jesus said, and this was the result of it, Jesus says, I must stay at your house. My question to you is, what are you willing to let go of? Are you the kind of person who will just say, hey, I conned all those people. I did all those terrible things, but hey, Lord, <laughs> I must just hold on to what I have. 
Never stay in a business. Someone once told me this years ago and I've never forgotten it. Never stay in a business that you can't walk away from. Some of you have invested quite a bit in certain things. Are you willing to ever walk away from that? Some of you are in wonderful jobs where they offer so much money. Are you willing to ever walk away from that and to say, God, you know what? I'm not going to hold this like this. I'm actually going to let go and watch what you are going to do. Those of you in consulting, some of you have got such a busy schedule. Are you willing to actually say no to certain business just so that you've got time with your family? Very often we're not because of the fear of lack. I'm talking about restitution. Are you willing to let go of certain things? Some of you are in bad business partnerships, but because of that investment that you've made, you're like, hey, I have to stay on, I have to stay on. And staying on will make you poorer in a number of years' time. Are you willing to let go and God trusts you with more? So he said, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Please note, he didn't say I'm going to pay back four times the amount to anyone everywhere here. He says, if I've cheated anyone. The narrative in South Africa right now is as if all white people, all their land is illegitimate. And all black people, whether you are dispossessed of land or not, yeah, it's a free for all and you can just get land. Restitution doesn't work that way. And if you go deep and you study the history of this nation, and I encourage you to do so, there were so many different dynamics taking place in this nation. When Zilikazi was leaving uh, this region and going up, towards Zimbabwe, right? Going up in that direction. By the way, he didn't just end up in Zimbabwe only. He moved around a bit, eh? Did a bit of Mozambique. He did a bit of sort of uh, Botswana, Zambezi Basin and so on. Then there were tsetse flies there. Then moved down and settled in Bulawayo. Right? But when he was moving up here, he used a scorched earth policy. And there were a lot of battles and people were being killed off and people were actually fleeing this region. And that's why in the 1830s, when the, uh, when, the, when the Afrikaners were moving up, for a lot of them, it was actually very easy because there were a lot of places that had been abandoned because of so-called black-on-black violence. And one of the things that needs to be addressed in this nation, if I can just say, is the black-on-black violence that took place in the 80s, that took place in the 90s, and people don't talk about it. I remember I was coaching a particular person, one of the wealthiest uh, women in the country, and she was an activist during the struggle. And she said, Paul, and I was talking about healing and healing of wounds. She says, Paul, we need to gather a group of people together. People who've come from my background. Because one of the areas of wounding was the black on black violence that took place in this nation. So let's not act like, oh, you know what? Africa doesn't belong to people with white skin. Africa, to be African, it's not about your skin color. Just like there are many Americans today that are not necessarily Native Americans. They're not necessarily Native American Indians, but we call them Americans that moved there. And the moment we racialize who does this continent belong to, that's where we have problems. Are you hearing me this morning? And if you look at Zacchaeus, he says, I will give you guys back four times what I took if I stole anything from someone. That's what he said. Now, right now, people kind of think like, oh, based on the color of my skin, okay, I can get any land anywhere. And those are the expectations. And when it doesn't happen, because not everyone will just get any land everywhere, I can tell you that. They make, politicians make promises. But how much of it do they fulfill? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Politicians everywhere. So it's not going to happen. But what ends up happening is people will build on a false promise that has been made and then they'll take the law into their own hands. And that's why whenever their land grabs, there's also violence. That's the pattern. Unless there are, there are clear policies and guidelines around it. But the heart of man is full of greed. So this is what happens. And then it says, Je Jesus said to him, and it's interesting that Jesus said this after the restitution. 
Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Ladies and gentlemen, restitution is important. Restitution is important. But the power of restitution is when it's voluntary. You cannot legislate restitution. There's a blessing when we demonstrate restitution. But when we are forced into it, it's different, the outcome. Number 10, are you claiming and or releasing generational blessing? Are you claiming the blessing of the generations and are you releasing blessing to the next generation? God is a multi-generational God. Amen. Amen. Let me give you an example of generational blessing. The first book I wrote, it was in 2005. There's a gentleman who came up to me who owned a printing company and he said to me, when you publish your book, it's actually what got me to do it because I hadn't yet done the book. And he says, when you want to publish your book, I would like you to please come to us. We're going to do the printing free of charge. So he said, Printing is expensive, by the way, right? For of books in particular. I'm going to do the printing free of charge. And you know what the reason was? He said, because when I worked under your father at such and such packaging company, when I worked under your father, he was very instrumental to my promotion and things that took off and unlocked in my life. And because of what your father did for me as a mentor, now I want to bless you. How many of you know that I benefited because of the actions of my father? That is generational blessing. Now, if you are not aware of the blessing in the previous generation, it's not easy for you to actually take a hold of it in faith. We're celebrating my father-in-law's 70th this afternoon, and my wife is going to do a speech. And we were talking about it earlier on, and she was describing some of the aspects of his character that she's benefited from. One of the things she mentioned was, my dad would always say to us, you must be your own boss. You don't have to work for anyone else. You can do your own thing. How many of you know that that influenced us just in terms of our passion for church planting and our passion for uh, establishing churches and establishing a movement of churches? Amen? Amen? We're locked in relationally with friends and so on, but there's a movement and it's, it's nice. It's nice to be able to make decisions and to just flow and do things according to the DNA and the blueprint God has given us. Right? Those are things parents pass on to children. I came from a family where my, my dad's family, the siblings, there, there were 10 of them. They're now eight. Virtually all of them run their own businesses. So for us, it was normal. It was not a normal thing like, okay, let me climb the corporate ladder. Let me do this. Ooh, I want to be the CEO one day. That wasn't normal. The norm for us was you start your thing. You have an idea and you turn it into a profitable reality. That's a generational blessing. Amen? Now, for some of you, it might be something in the corporate world, or it might be something in medicine or health or the teaching profession, whatever your parents were and your grandparents were. One of the things we have to master on the African continent is how to pass things on to the third and fourth generation. We're not good at that. That's a whole nother teaching, but we're not good at that. Because what tends to happen, I was speaking to a wealth coach just uh, the other day, the other lady who's actually coaching on the show with me, the TV show. And she was explaining to me that she works with a lot of black South Africans. She's an Afrikaans lady. She's 60, almost 60. She works with a lot of black South African women, powerful women in this nation, saying a lot of these people are getting a lot of money that they've never had before, but their children are very spoiled now. And their children don't understand how do you make money and how do you work hard for it. So the money in the next generation is lost. We must be careful of that, ladies and gentlemen. All right? So whenever we're talking about land in particular, we're also talking about inheritance. How many of you know that your children probably won't inherit all your phones? Because by the time they can use phones, sure, they probably won't be phones. We'll just have buttons that we press on our, I don't know, 
Okay? Your children probably won't inherit maybe even your vehicle. Because by the time they learn to drive, your vehicle might be out of action, would have packed out. And maybe they might not want to be seen in it. All right? The point I'm making is that there are certain things that can be passed on to the next generation. And one of those is property and land. So whenever we're talking about land, we're also talking about generational blessing. When you steal someone's land, you're stealing the inheritance. Are you hearing me? So we need to be careful how we deal with this whole land thing. So this is a blessing. So my question is, are you going out of your way to bless someone because of their father or grandfather? Because of what their parents did? Are you going out of your way to bring blessing to them? And this is something we need to consider as we think of this whole land issue. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 12 is very powerful. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for whose sake? For Jonathan's sake. We're sharing biblical principles here, right? Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? You know, I'm thinking of baby names, Ziba. At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Oh, I love this. Many of us, we only give when there's an offering message. Many of us, we only give when someone coerces us. Many of us, we only give when someone begs us. And here, David, who understands these kingdom principles, is basically saying, I'm looking for someone to bless. Oh, we need to tap into that dimension, ladies and gentlemen. He's saying, I'm looking for someone to bless. But what I find interesting is not just anyone. David was in covenant with Jonathan. And Jonathan was a blessing to him. And he's now saying, I want to look for someone in Saul's house, despite what Saul was like, to bring blessing to. If, if South Africa can catch on to this revelation, this generational covenantal revelation, if you could have a farmer there who was so blessed or whose father or father's father was so blessed by one of their workers who was instrumental in helping them in the land, warding off thieves from the land, and then they now say, I'm looking for one of their grandchildren today to be a blessing to, to show kindness because of what their grandfather was like. Isn't that amazing? People say, how do you prosper? How do you get breakthrough? My friends, they're kingdom secrets in this type of giving and this type of generosity. And so look what happens. Look what happens. I think it's so powerful. And I think many of you are aware of this account. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makia, son of Amel, in Lodabar. Number five, verse five. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makia, son of Amel, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. Isn't God good? God is so covenantal. This guy could have been forgotten, but because David thought in terms of covenant and generations, David is like, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. And I believe the Lord is saying that to some of you here. He's looking for you. He's saying, is there not someone in the house of who I can find? Now, are you going to trust God's blessing that way? Or are you going to try and make things happen for yourself? I'm telling you right now, the breakthrough that these guys have experienced. Yes, we prayed. It was not just the prayer of agreement that made it happen. I'm telling you right now, if you listen to the story of Lysias and Spongile and how they grew up, the rejection, the abandonment, the fatherlessness that they went through, I'm telling you there were covenantal things in the generations that were already spoken of. There were prayers his mom had prayed concerning her child already, despite everything she had been through. 
And there's a covenantal thing that is on him. And the Lord was just waiting for the right moment. I'm going to feel that success is where preparation meets opportunity. And there was preparation in prayer. There was preparation in study. And now the breakthrough has come. For some of you, you just have to have the revelation of that generational blessing and then tap into it and agree. Now watch how it continues. Watch how it continues. He says, at your service, he replied. And listen what David says. He said, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness. Why? Is it anything good you've done? He says, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. That printing guy. I will show you kindness, Paul, for the sake of your father, John. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Some of you might have land that was taken. Are you believing God? I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. God can restore. And sometimes he doesn't restore just in the form of physical land. And that's the thing. You've got guys who don't know how to farm, guys who don't know how to use land and everything's out. I want my land. I want my land. Then once they get their land, they park off because they don't know what to do with it. Instead of saying, God, we lost this. We believe that you can restore however you're going to restore. And there are ways in which God can restore. I think people need to have a revelation and think smart in this country and not suddenly try to be farmers. Are you hearing me? If they end up getting land, being wise to say, I don't know how to farm, let me get the guys who know how to farm. And we'll make lots of money, we'll share it, we'll make a plan. Instead of pretending to be a farmer when you're not. What a lot of people don't understand about the history of Southern Africa is a lot of the people who came from abroad tried to be farmers. A lot of white-skinned people, people who moved up north, up north, even into, into Zimbabwe. A lot of them were trying to be farmers. But what ended up happening is the, the few that ended up farming were the ones who survived. And then the others went into other types of professions because they couldn't farm. The default was, let's farm, let's get land. But not everyone could. So the people who've ended up farming in this region, my friends, are people who've had generations of it in their family and they're very clued up in it. You don't want to lose those skills to other countries. You want to benefit from it in this nation. Are you hearing me this morning? So what is interesting is God will restore. Let's believe that he will restore. And, it's, and, and David said, I will restore. I will restore to you the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Isn't God wonderful? This says something to the disabled. To people who are disabled. You will always eat at my table. Verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? His self-worth was so low. You know what I find interesting? People are sometimes quick to say, I want to benefit from the generational blessing. But they don't like taking ownership for the weaknesses from the generations before. It's both, isn't it? It's the restitution to say, hey, we messed up, we did terrible things. This is what we can do for restitution. But hey, there were also great things and there's this wonderful inheritance. Let's also embrace that. You can't just pick and choose. And then it continues. The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. Mephibosheth didn't have to do it himself. Are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth Grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 50 so 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do what my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son named Mika. See, these guys got hooked up. Doesn't matter his condition. You know, I'm just sort of thinking through, like, everything. Anyway, he had a young son named Mika. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to restore. God wants to restore, but are you believing him? Or are you believing your politicians? Who, who, who are you going to trust? I'd rather trust God. Amen. Number 11. Do you believe that God can restore what has been taken from you? Is your hope in God or in the government? With a lot of socialistic governments and communistic governments, they try to act and, and play God. We will give you this. We will feed you. And then people become powerless. It always happens. That's why guys get a lot of rural votes. We'll provide this for you, this for you. Oh yes, give it to us. Instead of saying, no, we don't need your fertilizer. No, we don't need this. We don't need that. We'll make it happen. Just watch out for that. Because it creates a dependency syndrome, doesn't it? Okay? Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, saying, it is Zion. No one cares for her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling places. And the city will be rebuilt on its ruin and the palace will stand on its rightful place. God can restore. Some of you come from families where at some stage your parents were great, wealthy entrepreneurs, but the cash was lost. The businesses failed. And wasn't passed on. Many people have that story. Now, they became wealthy because of God's blessing on their lives. How many of you know that you can tap into that blessing? You can say, God, you know what? We might have had a difficult upbringing at a certain point because it was all lost. But that blessing is still in my lineage and in my household. I'm standing on it. I'm standing in faith on your promises. Because the promise he didn't just make to your grandparents or your parents. It's also a promise where you are the beneficiary. He had you in mind. Amen? Amen? He had you in mind. He had you in mind. He had you in mind. I'm just saying the things your dad has done in his business and so on. There's a generational blessing that's on you. There's an entrepreneurial thing that's on you for that. Amen? Number 12, are we redressing the situation or are we taking revenge? There is a fine line between righting wrongs and taking revenge because, the, because of the heart behind it. I want, to, I want to really establish this particular point. And I wrote down something here. I said, if your grandparents could not read, where would you be? If they were not allowed to have specific jobs, where would you be? What can you do in your heart to help? When the privileged have truly thought through this, it's where amazing things end up happening. On the other hand, think of the white person who's smart and works hard and gets many amazing distinctions at school. And they're only 23 years of age and they're trying to apply for a job today. Maybe he's worked as a part-time person in a restaurant to supplement his university fees and also took out a loan for his tuition. Ordinarily, he would qualify for a bursary and a scholarship, but there are none available for people of his color. He has many black friends and has helped them to pass at university. He loves his country and has even got national colors for rowing. Unfortunately, he can't get a job because of his color. Sadly, a lot of people are happy with this scenario because their heart attitude is it's payback time because of the person's color. Sadly, a lot of people who are happy with this situation aren't considering the broader ramifications of this, that we're losing a lot of talent in this nation. 
People are going overseas in thousands, in numbers, and people are like, we don't care. Yes, it's our chance, it's our opportunity right now. But I'm telling you right now, we need to see ourselves in this nation as all South Africans. And South Africa is for everyone. I heard the president, he was, uh, I read a thing where he was speaking to a group of Afrikaners and they were clapping for him. And he said, we have to accept that even with the Afrikaners, that this is your land too. I don't know how he's going to wing it all because I'm hearing talk of, okay, the land is going expropriation without compensation, but I'm also hearing this is your land too. I haven't yet figured out that one, but that's what he was saying. And that's important. No one in this nation should feel less of a citizen than someone else. Today, there are groups at work saying, we all know that it's a handful of us that are carrying everyone. I was speaking to a group of smart people doing some group coaching, and that's what they were saying. And it wasn't the black or white thing. They were basically saying, guys, you know what it's like. A mixed group of people, and they're saying, there's a handful of us here working here who are carrying everyone. Because there are a lot of people in jobs today, and we all know they're not performing. And what it does is it messes up for a lot of black people who do perform because there's now the stereotype that you only got the job because of your color, not because you're clued up. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay? So what's our attitude to that gentleman who's trying to get a job, that 23-year-old? Is our mindset that, well, he's paying for his parents' sin? Because if we had that same mindset, then these guys who are in government, who've been very corrupt, surely then we should also say, okay, their children must pay for their parents' sin. It's the same thing, isn't it? So why don't we apply it across the board? People complain about colonialism, but there's neo-colonialism that's taking place today. Remember, there was always the middleman. Slaves didn't just go to the West. They were the guys who sold, who were in the middle, who were doing the selling. And how many of you know that today there's neo-colonialism? There's that person in the middle who's coining it, who's corrupt. And all these BE tenders, people are like, oh yeah, money is going to... No, the poor are still poor, ladies and gentlemen. People, the poor are still poor. And then now you've got this black middle class where there's just, they're the good guys with a lot of good jobs and are doing well, but then you've got another tier of people who are very corrupt, coining it, making a lot of money, dressed, the ones who are politicians, not always dressing in a fancy way because they don't want you to think that they've got lots of money. But just go to their homes. But they won't be flashy about it. Because they want to identify with the people and say we are the viewer and they act less intelligent than they actually are. Are you hearing me? Because what happens with the populist mindset is we want to win your votes and we are here for you to rescue you and so on. Yet a lot of them just want the power. Can I go there? Didn't mention names, okay, so you can just figure it out yourself. The result is that many people who love this nation are immigrating and there's going to be a crisis with regards to mentorship. You see, the people who qualify for immigration are qualified people. If you've tried to immigrate before, you know what I'm talking about. Countries don't want to just take in anyone. There's a whole process it's like you have to have this qualification, this qualification, so on. We are losing people. Go and look at the stats. The biggest nation that people have gone to in South Africa since 94 is actually the UK. There's the UK, there's Australia, there's Canada, there's even Zimbabwe, by the way. Since 94, people have moved from South Africa to Zim. A few thousand have moved there. Yeah, it's also happened that way. You know, people think people are just coming down. People are moving up that way. Some have gone to Israel. Just go and look at the stats. We are losing very skilled people. It's the skilled people who immigrate because they can. And the sad thing is people will only click, especially people who don't think long-term, they'll only click onto this after a number of years, like, oh, but there's no one, who knows how to use that particular kind of software? Yeah, no, sorry, they go. Uh, but we, we can't find anyone for this. Those of you, those of you who are in procurement know what I'm talking about. 
You can have all these wonderful procurement policies. Then now you're looking for someone who can run the particular type of software and you're scratching your head. You're like, we have to bring in a consultant from Belgium. Why do we have to bring someone from Belgium? Is there no South African who can do it? No, there isn't. Was there ever no South African? No, there were some, but they've gone. And then now the person has to do a motivation. Motivate why you have to bring someone from Belgium. Because there's no one here. Because we've got a crisis when it comes to talent. Any nation that focuses on the past in their primary collective consciousness will regress. Focusing on the negative past causes anger, depression, and anxiety, and research has found that. If you, if you predominantly just focus on the negative past, you are more predisposed to depression, to anger, and to anxiety. In Zimbabwe's reforms, the president has recently said, decision-making based on color is now outdated. Nangagwa, he said that. Decision-making based on color is now outdated. My question is, when is it going to become outdated in this nation? In South Africa, we are now 24 years post-apartheid. And then finally, number 13, are we empowering our laborers? When we think of land reform, what about the people who are currently working on these farms? People are like, ah, oh, no, yeah, let's bring in other people, let's bring out. What about the people who are currently working on these farms? What's going to happen to them? We've seen land reform where people are like, it was, I was actually better off with that white guy who owned the farm than these new guys who've come on, they've treated me badly. And don't say to me, don't say to me, black people treat black people better than white people do. That's why many domestic workers would rather work for white people. So just look at that at the, at, at the mi at microcosm level, right? We need to look after our laborers, people. And the question of the day with government as they're deciding these things is going to be, what's going to happen to the current employees? And those current employees aren't all from that region. So it becomes tricky. But their parents worked there, and their parents' parents worked there. But those people, maybe they were from Mozambique, maybe they're from Malawi, and they're now working there. And they've become South African. What's going to happen to them? We need to consider them. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 to 21, it says, When you reap your harvests in your field, and have forgotten a sheaf in the, in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Sometimes people have this mindset with the workers, it's like, we won't give you anything, we'll just pay you. The best places to work for is where they look after their staff, isn't it? Where the very thing that company is producing, they also give freebies to the people working there. That's the principle here. How many of you get that in the workplace? How many of you get that? Hands are going up, hands are going up. How can you work for a software company, but you never are given free software? Hey, yeah, but I do some stuff for the guys who work at MultiChoice, and I'm like, hey, these guys, because they get very good rates and almost freebies for all these DSTV packages. This is the principle here. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for who? The alien, that's the foreigner, okay? Not aliens, okay? The alien for the orphan and for the widow. Why do we do that? In order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The Jewish people understood that there's a blessing when you're generous. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for who? The alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. What, are you, what is your company doing for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow? What is the corporate social investment? Is it just for marketing purposes? We're doing this for our community. Or do you recognize the blessing of God in it? I want to encourage you, those of you running businesses, have a revelation of this and say, you know what, from the work I'm doing with these clients, 
I want to give a portion into the kingdom. I want to give a portion to that orphanage over there. I want to give a portion to the alien, the widows, the orphans. Amen? I'm not talking about your individual tithes. I'm talking about what your business does. Those of you in farming, Lanston, I know Lanston is already a very generous person, etc. All right? So I, I'm preaching to the choir. Just saying that as a disclaimer, Lanston. Don't start shaking on that video camera now. All right? As you produce, what do you do with the produce? God will bless you. In the Bible, we see the practice of gleaning. Gleaning is the act of collecting leftover crops from the farmer's fields after they've been commercially harvested on fields where it is not economically profitable to harvest. It is a practice described in the Hebrew Bible that became a legally enforced entitlement of the poor in a number of Christian kingdoms. That was gleaning. So they would harvest, 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 and then there were the leftovers and the poor could just go and also benefit. Isn't that beautiful? There are many cases where farm laborers would rather work for their previous employers than the new people that take over the land. Are they going to be considered? To what extent is profit sharing taking place for them today? Where instead of just paying workers, you say, let's share in the profits. How are we applying principles of faithful stewardship? It's these people who've been working on these farms that have been faithful with the small and they've become skilled. They need to be remembered. We all know that when it comes to wages, there are a whole lot of issues when it comes to farm laborers' wages. If you look at the uprisings in Cape Town and other places and so on, that needs to be sorted out, ladies and gentlemen. You can't have extremely wealthy farmers and then you look at how much people are being paid per hour or per day. It's ridiculous. Just go and look at the stats. So there is an obligation we have when we are given stewardship over land. And we see this in scripture. In Proverbs 27 verse 18, it says, Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. In other words, the person who's looking after it must also benefit from the produce. Amen. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master will be honored. We have to share with the people working with us. I'm going to close by giving you six guiding principles. People have said, Paul, share with us your stance about land reform. I'm going to close with these six principles. Number one, understand that farming is an integral part of the economy. Farming is an integral part of the economy. You can't separate it from the rest of the economy. There's a Zimbabwean economist, John Robertson, and he puts it in a paper entitled Strengthening Africa's Economic Performance. It was published in November 2017, right? Um, and he said, a key reason for the crash that destroyed Zimbabwe's manufacturing sector, this is the manufacturing sector, was the government's failure to recognize that commercial farming was an industry with complex links into every other industrial sector, okay? So we must understand the entire value chain of plowing equipment, seedlings, transport, the whole supply chain process, that if the agricultural sector collapses, everything else also collapses. Amen. Amen. Number two, give land to those that can use it. Give land to who? To those that can use it. Right? So reward those who use it well and allow others to purchase from those who do not steward it well. And it's been acknowledged in this nation that one of the reasons that has caused land reform to not work well is that we had a settling mentality. It's fine, here's your land, you can just chill and do whatever you want. Now there's going to be an obligation that, guys, if you're going to get land, you need to actually do something with it. I remember speaking to an old friend in Zimbabwe where they, had, they gained some land through, through the re redistribution there. And this person said to me, eh, we now need to really work because the president has said, if you're not producing, you'll lose your farm. There has to be an obligation. Amen? Amen. Number three, help people to purchase land and have title. 
Let me just say this. If you study and research this whole topic in this nation, more land has actually moved from white people to black people through purchasing, right? Since 94, than land that has been transferred through land redistribution. So it's important to understand that there's already been a gradual transference of land but respecting title and through purchasing. And a lot of these people who are purchasing land, they're purchasing it in the same areas that are their home areas. So you're not typically finding Zulu people buying land in the Eastern Cape. You're not typically finding Tosa people buying land in Limpopo. You get what I'm saying, okay? But the key principle here is help people to purchase land and have title. Some people have even argued that all the money that the government spent with the land reform, if they had given it to assist some of the banks in giving better loans to people who are purchasing, it might have been better. Because some of these black, young black farmers who are rising up are very entrepreneurial and very eager to farm. And I think those are the people who should really get first dibs, as opposed to some people who might just settle and not do anything with the land. So help people to purchase land and have title. Now, this will help them with collateral when they're borrowing money. Um, property rights are very motivating when you own your own property. Okay, It brings a sense of dignity and responsibility. Number four, make room for the current landowners to voluntarily part ways with parts of their land. I've shared with you one of the other weeks about the subdivision of land. That should be made easier. Okay, it shouldn't be as complicated as it is and shouldn't take as long as it's taking. If it was much easier in this nation to subdivide land, people would be subdividing quite easily and selling off and mentoring other people. Amen. All right, number five, find ways to keep farming skills in the country and reward those who mentor others. Those farmers who are rising up and saying, we are great farmers, we want to start colleges, we want to train up people and so on, should be rewarded for mentorship. I'm telling you, this is what heals us from the wounds of our past. And then number six, reward landowners that participate in the process. How do you create culture? One of the ways you create culture is through a reward system. Reward landowners that participate in this type of process that I've just described. Unlike what happened to some friends of mine in a wonderful farming area of Bindura who had started giving away land to their workers and training them up at a college that they were running on their farm, but they still got their farm taken away from them despite what they were doing. You're not rewarding someone who's got a good heart, who actually wants to give away but wants to do it responsibly. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's pray. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, this talk has inspired me to be a reformer. You're saying, I want to go into politics. Or you're saying, I want to be a statesman. You're saying, I want to influence where I can. I want to be a voice. I don't want to just talk about these things in church circles. I want to actually be a voice and make a difference in this nation concerning the issues of the day. I want you to stand where you are. I want to release something. I want to release something. I want to activate something. I just believe that there's something of the Spirit of God in this place where He wants to activate people into this arena. Maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're in the legal arena and you're saying, I want to be strong when it comes to the legislature. I want to be strong when it comes to policy making. pray father god you see your people and you know their hearts lord and some of them don't know what the next steps are going to be but i pray father god that you would give us the spirit of wisdom the spirit of wisdom to know what to do next the spirit of wisdom that has a strong sense of yes i can be a daniel i can be a joseph i can be a deborah Right now, I activate you into this dimension by the Spirit of God to rise up and to be a voice that shapes this continent, a voice that shapes nations. Right now, we release you apostolically and prophetically. You will know what to say and you'll know what to say when. 
you will start meeting up with the right people even right now. And you will do things for the right reasons. And you will model, you will model righteousness in the sphere and the domain that God has called you to. Your words will not fall to the ground. You'll be like Stephen, where they cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit by which you speak. And Father, I pray right now that you release these people and you accelerate your people into this new dimension. I speak blessing and favor over you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. God bless you.